0: You'll hear argument next this morning in Case 11 1447, Kuntz v. St. John's River Water Management District. Mr. Beard? Thank
1: you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case is about the extent to which Nolan and Dolan review should be made available to individuals to challenge excessive exactions imposed as conditions to land use approval. Here, before he could make small use of his property — Koi Koontz was told by the district that he had to finance enhancements to 50 acres of public let's, owned- let's back up. When
2: he, he asked for a permit, he voluntarily said, I, as mitigation for the loss of wetlands, I'm going to voluntarily create a conser- conservation easement on the rest of my property. So he recognized from day one that there had to be some mitigation for what he was seeking to do in the permit. Is
1: that right? That is correct. With his application, uh, Justice Ginsburg, he did offer a miti- mitigation in the form of a conservation easement on most of his property.
2: And if he had offered nothing, and he if he just said, "I want this permit to develop my land," and the agency said, "You've offered no mitigation." We deny you a permit. Would he have a claim?
1: If there was no condition attached to the permit denial, then there would be no claim. Although it would be up to the district under Nolan and Dolan to make the individualized determination both of the amount of impact to wetlands and the amount necessary to offset. Suppose he just put
2: in the application no mitigating. Um, no mitigation of any kind, and the agency says no, you recognize that he would have no claim, right? That he, he
1: had an obligation to mitigate? It depends, Your Honor. If the denial was based on the idea that he was obligated to offer mitigation, and that was the extent of the District's communication with him, in other words, that the District told them, you must offer us something. We won't tell you what, and we'll let you decide what you want to offer in mitigation. If that was in the record and that was the — and the result of that was a permit denial because Mr. Kuhn said, for example, well, gee whiz, I don't know how much I need to mitigate for you haven't told me, I still believe there would be a Dolan violation because, in Dolan the Court made clear, There has to be an individualized determination. For what? For what?
3: You wouldn't. You wouldn't know what property was taken. He wouldn't know. You're you're posing a situation in which he never came forward with any suggestion. They never came forward with any suggestion. You say he still has a cause of action for a taking. Not taking of what? Not for a taking, Your Honor. But he he may have a cause of
1: action under Nolan and Dolan. For the imposition of an unconstitutional condition that may not be the contours of which may not be known, but the the fact that this district told him you need to. I think
3: the other side says that that you may have such a cause of action here. Excuse me, I didn't understand. Wouldn't wouldn't the other side in this case acknowledge that you have such a that you may have such a cause of action here? Yes, Your Honor. I believe they. Well, their argument. But they're just saying you don't have a cause of action. For a taking. That is correct.
1: They're they're saying that we don't have a cause of action for a taking. Of course, in Nolan and Dolan, there was no transfer of property from the applicant to the relevant agencies. As this court will recall, in both Nolan and Dolan, there was an imposition of an exaction, and immediately the applicant in both cases sued to prevent
4: the unlawful exaction from being consummated. Counsel, I've had a problem with your argument, okay? From the record, it's very clear that a conservation offer is not considered mitigation, because there's still a net loss of wetlands. The policy is abundantly clear, stated, and undisputed. Okay? So, given that policy, why are we even in this case? Meaning whether there was an exact exaction or no exaction or whatever happened — in terms of the denial, you couldn't win on your offer because the policy of the State was clear and, in my mind, unassailable. We have to preserve wetlands. Conservation of other wetlands is not enough. Mitigation means make sure that we get a net gain of wetlands. So why are we here?
1: Justice Sotomayor, we don't contest the legitimacy of the policy, of course, in preserving wetlands, nor do we contest, for that matter, the ratios that the district has uh, imposed via its regulations. It is undisputed — the trial court found below, the Court of Appeal affirmed, and the finding was undisturbed in the Florida Supreme Court — that, in fact, the off-site mitigation, that part of the mitigation that went beyond the conservation easement — was in excess. It violated Nolan and Dolan. So the underlying factual findings are not in dispute. I think you, um, I
2: think you have a problem there, Ms. Beard, because if you look at the record, the record is very clear that it was not, that the district didn't come back and say, take it or leave it. You, you improve our Wetlands, or you get no permit. There was, and if you, they sent out in the respondent's brief at pages thirteen to fifteen, oh, at least half a dozen, maybe more. the The, the district said, here are several ways, several ways that you could sufficiently offset the adverse impact. And some of them had nothing to do with improving the government's own land. It's, so it, we can't, we really can't say this was a take it or leave it. Either you do the improvement that we're asking you to do or you get no permit. What do you do with the, the, the fact that, as the appendix certainly bears out, that the district Offered a range, it offered many, many ways that this permit might be granted, and then it says, and you're free to come up with some other, something else.
1: Justice Ginsburg, it's true that there were negotiations and that a range of offers were made. On Mr. Kuntz's application to use 3.7 acres of his property in conjunction with the uh, conservation easement, the District made a final decision denying him his permit because he would not go beyond the easement and offer off-site mitigation. DR. Not
2: not because he wouldn't go beyond what he was offering, but um, that's some of these options. One was that he — that he — adjust the size of his project, that he make it smaller. The, the, the staff suggested eliminating — no, that was, that's a different one. But there was one that suggested he, that he reduce the scale. The petitioner reduced the scale of his project to one acre and preserve the rest with the conservation easement. Now, if that — if we took that, uh, would you have any, any case here?
1: I'm sorry Justice, if they said we we'll talk? give you
2: we'll give you a permit if you reduce the scale of your project to 1 acre and then preserve the rest by a conservation easement.
1: Unlikely not, your honor, because the trial court did conclude based on the evidence that he was having minimal impact on any viable wetlands and so even a reduction in the size of the project with an increase in the amount of mitigation Would have a fortiori gone beyond even what we have in this case, the the Court of Appeal made clear as a matter of law that Mr. Koonsted was entitled to a determination on the application he submitted. He submitted that application, and as the district admitted in a pretrial statement, right before trial, the denials were based exclusively — and this is a quote — the denials were based (coughs) exclusively on the fact that the plaintiff would not provide additional mitigation to offset impacts from the proposed project. Mr.
5: Beer, could I go back to Justice Ginsburg's first question and make sure I understand your answer to it? Suppose that the State just had a, a — a policy that said uh, we're concerned about wetlands. In order to develop your piece of property, you have to come forward with a proposal, a mitigation proposal, and an adequate mitigation proposal, and then it gives some guidance about what an adequate mitigation proposal would mean, but it really leaves it up to the landowner. And the landowner says, sorry, I'm not giving you anything. I think I should be able to develop this on my own without providing any mitigation. Is that, and, and, and the State says, well, then sorry you don't get a permit. Is that a taking? Does the man have a takings claim? I heard you answer the question yes.
1: My answer was that he may have a Nolan Dolan claim. I, I don't want to get confused about the term taking because taking can imply many kinds of well, regulatory takings well i thought I, that's claims. the
5: next question i was going to ask you because my understanding of Nolan and Dolan was that it assumed the condition if taken alone would constitute a taking do you disagree with that
1: i do not disagree with that your honor
5: okay so then you need a taking someplace in the picture isn't that right nolan dolan says this is how we analyze takings in the context of a permit scheme so we have to look for a taking so in my example, where
1: is the taken? This was Justice Ginsburg's example. Where right. is the taken? And, and And I think that's correct, that, that under Nolan and Dolan, you would have to have a condition that was imposed on you. My only point was, would it be lawful or would there be a problem in the district shifting its burden onto the applicant and saying, we're not going to establish what mitigation is required or we're not going to establish what the impacts are. We'll leave that up to you. You give us what you think is — is necessary. suppose the the
6: district did — did have, as I think it did here, a uniform policy that for every acre you develop, you have to preserve 10 wetland — 10 acres of wetlands. And then two cases, both hypothetical. One is somebody has a 100-acre parcel and uh, they want to uh, develop five acres. Then they have fifty acres that they mit- mitigate for wetland. The other person uh, has only one acre, uh, and he wants to, and he has to develop the whole acre. Can the district then say, "We'll give you the one-acre development permit if you reclaim wetlands on ten other acres that you that we can designate for you elsewhere"? the hypothetical being designed to point out whether or not the crux of your argument is that he had to go off off-site.
1: The, the crux is not that he had to go off-site, but that — that did play into the trial court's analysis as to the connection between his impact and what was being required. And there was testimony below that there was no connection there. And the fact that the mitigation was four to seven miles away — played into the analysis as to whether there was a connection. But so in not, my
6: hypothetical, you would not would, — would there be a violation in my hypothetical, as, as you understood it?
1: it? It depends, Your Honor, because you'd have to determine what, in each respective hypothetical, what the impact was actually to the wetlands,
4: <laughs> and then determine how what the you appropriate — How do you normally decision. decide whether the agency has done that right or not? Excuse me? How do you normally decide? Let's assume Justice Kagan's question or Justice Ginsburg's question, no — it just says, come to us with a mitigation plan. And you say, this is what I offer, and it's enough. And they say, no, it's not enough, deny. Would you go through the State Administrative process to figure out whether that was arbitrary and capricious, whether it was a Penn Central <coughs> violation? What would you do with that c- claim in the normal circumstance? Justice Kennedy's question. In the normal circumstance, if there was no
1: condition imposed, no, there would not be a Nolan and Dolan claim. There may be another kind of claim, say, under Penn Central, and that could be brought, it wouldn't have to be brought via administrative remedies if there was a final agency action. It would be an inverse con- condemnation. Correct. It could be an inverse condemnation type of a claim.
7: So, so. What I think might be driving some of these questions is the district court says just as you say had Kuntz offered additional mitigation the additional would have cost ten thousand dollars he would have gotten the permit that's what he said so then you look back to see what additional mitigation and here we have in the record at least that my law clerk finds you know that the the, they went to Kuntz and they said here are some choices install a subsurface storm water management system in the development, I mean, right on your land, or reduce the size to one acre, or eliminate the filling of side slope areas, or replace 15 culverts and eliminate a ditch system somewhere else, or, or uh, enhance 50 acres somewhere else. Now, at that point, when they all and then and then they said, "Won't you negotiate for 30 more days? Maybe we can find some other things." He says, "No, I'll bring a lawsuit." Okay. Now, I absolutely can see a Penn Central claim there, you see. But the land, is it, uh, what you are talking about is not some land somewhere off the site. We're talking about his land. If, after all, they said you have to leave all the coal in the mine to hold up the ceiling, we know what I'm referring to, then they go too far. And here, if we'd looked at all these conditions proposed and said, you know, this is just terrible. They don't do it for anybody else. Your client's the only one. It bears no relation. Oh, it just goes too far. You win under Penn Central. So I can see the framework here. I'm not saying you're going to win, but I got it clear what the framework is. But suddenly you bring this Nolan-Dolan business into it, and I get confused. And the reason is because there was a different piece of land in Nolan and Dolan. The piece of land that was different was an easement. In front of the — and an easement is a piece of property in Nolan. And there was a bike path in Dolan right across his property. So, so I don't see how Nolan and Dolan have to do with this. I see everything that Penn Central has to do with it. And that grows out of the nature of, of what was being offered. You're saying what they're offering you is simply going too far. Okay, I got that conceptually. I ask this question because all these briefs are about Nolan and Dolan, and I don't understand what they have to do with it. I must be missing something, so justice that's what Breyer, I'm asking.
1: Justice Breyer, Nolan and Dolan fundamentally are about <coughs> whether a property owner has been singled out to bear public burdens that, in fairness and justice — But, of course,
7: their land claims because they took a piece of land, which everybody assumes right in front of his house, and said, you've got to let everybody from the beaches walk back and forth from one beach in the north to another one in the south, and they're going to walk over your land. And the Court said, you can't take his land unless you have a nexus to some public purpose that is related to his building the house. I got it. I just don't see what it has to do with this case. Because you you can have an unconstitutional
1: condition imposed on your right to do something in this case, uh, make use of
7: your property. Of course you can. In fact, there's too much coal. That's an unconstitutional condition. It goes too far, and there is a framework called Penn Central which deals with it. Penn Central is a special takings case that goes to the question
1: of whether a regulation of the use of property that is sought to be developed has gone too far so as to affect the taking. Penn Central is not — How does
4: that not address going too far? You just said it. If if this is unrelated to the the denial of your permit of all uses of your land, and you're saying that's the problem, which is I still have a use, I just want more, Um, why does that entitle you to your lost profits? When were you ever entitled to start with the claim that somehow you're entitled to a permit? as a matter of law? we
1: We're entitled, under the unconstitutional conditions doctrine, to not have to bear a public burden that has no bearing on the impact that we're trying to use on our property. Yeah, that's fine. That
3: that, that would enable you to uh, uh, challenge the denial of the permit, saying it's based upon an unconstitutional condition. But how does it — how does it enable you to say there's been a taking? What has been taken? What has, been ta- what has been taken, in effect, is his funds
1: that have to be put now to a public use, the enhancement of 50 acres of public wetlands. And there is nothing in the takings clause, nothing — no, It hasn't been taken. I mean, he turned it down. Nothing was taken in Nolan and Dolan,
3: either. What was proposed there, though, was a the, threat of a taking. The, the, the uh, uh, permit was granted in Nolan and Dolan. And, and the condition attached to the permit, therefore, took effect, namely that you had to uh, dedicate this easement uh, over your over your beach. Whereas, uh, as my colleague pointed out, anybody could walk back and forth barefooted. Yeah. <laughs> Justice
1: Scalia, and Nolan, and Dolan. There was approval — approval with conditions. There were no permits issued. And that's — that's an important distinction to make, that most agencies, including this one, you approve a permit with a condi- — with conditions, which means we will give you your permits as soon as you comply, which is substantively the same as saying we won't give you your permits until you say yes to our conditions.
7: Right, look, we have the same question. I, I, I just want an answer to my question. And for the purposes of this question, I am assuming enormously in your favor. I am assuming that this set of conditions is the worst thing since sliced bread. All right. I, I, I think they're t- — all right. I'm assuming that in your favor. Right, sliced so bread th-
3: supposed to be good.
7: We- no, no. It's been proved bad. But, the, 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 but, but in any case, the, 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 the point is, you see, I assume that in your favor. I'm trying to figure out the conceptual framework. I assume that in your favor. I assume whether they didn't issue the permit and would have, but they haven't quite, or maybe they have, means nothing. Now, having assumed that, it seems to me what your argument is, is that this is a form of regulatory taking of the kind that Holmes was talking about, and that uh, that's what was going on in in Penn Central. And so we simply looked to see if it went too far, whatever. The lower courts could do that. I got that part. Now, I want you to answer the question, which is, am I right? Is there another part, a different part to this case, called the Nolan-Dolan part? And, And explain that to me. That's why I asked the question. I want to hear what you're going to say.
1: JUSTICE BREYER, there is another part, a very distinct part. And that part goes to the question of the condition that produced the denial. So there there are actually two parts here. There's the the conditioning of your permit. In other words, we will not issue you permits unless you agree to perform off-site mitigation. Now the question under Nolan and Dolan is, was that condition constitutional? Was he asked to give up something that the State or the district in this case should not have asked him to give up in exchange for his right to use his property? Now it's true, as, as Justice Breyer, you mentioned, that The permit denial, and whether that affects a regulatory taking of his land, of the thing he wants to use, that's an entirely different question. And it may raise another kind of claim, another kind of taking claim. But the crux of the claim that was litigated in this case, from the trial court all the way up to the Florida Supreme Court, is — was the condition? To perform off-site mitigation, and that was accepted as true by the courts below. That this was a condition. That Suppose had been I, the
2: record just doesn't bear that out. The record shows that it wasn't one option. They gave him a laundry list of things he could do. Some some of them having nothing, whatever to do <coughs> anything off his own property. Suppose the, the whatever the district court might have said. The record shows that. The agency said, here are six, seven things you could do. Come up with something else if you have something else. And some of them had absolutely nothing to do with other property.
1: We agree that there were negotiations, and that even in the order, it's alleged that various options were provided to uh, Mr. Coons. But ultimately, the decision, as the District admits, the decision, the final decision to deny the permit Application for 3.7 acres of use was Mr. Kuntz's refusal to acquiesce in the condition that he perform 50 acres of off site improvements. And by the way, the reference Where where is that? It's in the joint appendix pages 70 to 71, which is the pretrial statement where each party sets forth his and her position. There, the court, I'm sorry, the district made clear that the condition that had been refused and was the cause of the permit denial, was the one to perform off-site mitigation at a cost of a range between $10,000 on the low end, our experts said in the range of $100,000 to $150,000 uh, — 90000 to $150,000. So the district later on, even in the Florida Supreme Court, Justice Ginsburg, said in its petitioner's brief on jurisdiction at page one that It required additional mitigation before it would authorize the permits and that, quote, additional mitigation would be off-site because the available conservation land on-site was, in the district's view, insufficient (coughs) mitigation. So there's no question that an actual condition was imposed whose rejection produced a permit denial. Mr. Mr.
5: Beard, I don't think anybody's contesting that there was a condition — imposed, or maybe (coughs) there are, but, you know, there's another question whether that condition is a taking. And we've been trying to figure out what's the taking here. And Nolan Dolan, they took an easement. They took a piece of land. So that's the taking. Now, you said the funds are the taking. (coughs) Is that correct? Any time that somebody comes up with a proposal uh, 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 for, for a developer to pay money, in order to compensate the state for the costs that are associated with his development, that that is itself a
1: taken? I want to be clear that we're not saying that all monetary fees or exactions would be subject to Nolan and Dolan. Only within the permit context, the special context of land use permitting. No, I understand,
5: but in the permit context, a state can't say to somebody, you have to pay to perform some service or to compensate without it being a taking and without it being subject to Nolan-Dolan analysis? Correct. If
1: the State or if the government or the permitting authority asks for the — for the property owner to give up property, even money, to be put to a public use — and it's not an application fee or a user fee or something like that. It's for mitigation. That should so, be
5: subject so, — So, for example — and I'll try to do this very quickly. If — if the state just had a policy for every acre of wetlands you fill in, uh, it — it costs us $10,000. You need to pay $10,000. That's subject to Nolan-Dolan
1: analysis, too. Correct. It would be subject to Nolan-Dolan and Dolan analysis to determine if they're really on the ground is a connection between the impact no, it, it would
3: be subject to Nolan-Dolan uh, analysis if they took the $10,000. If they issued the permit, the developer went ahead with the development, and the State then attached uh, the bank account in the amount of $10,000 or whatever. That would be Nolan. In Nolan and Dolan — in Nolan, there was a taking. He had gone ahead with the — with the development of his house under the permit, which said if he did that, he gave away the easement. So there — there was a, 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 a taking there, the, the easement would have been taken automatically in 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 dolan there was uh, the individual had not gone ahead with the development but it was clear that any development the person undertook would be subject to the uh, the exaction that the uh, municipality required so there was a a taking there we said here there's nothing that happens the permit was denied unlike in unlike in uh, in dolan where the permit was granted and it was understood that if she went ahead with it she was going to lose uh, lose uh, uh, some land rights here the permit's been denied i can't see where there's a taking here Nothing's been taken. Nolan and
1: Dolan, Your Honor, nothing was taken either. In Nolan, you had a permit approval with conditions. It's true that development had not — had not gone forward. But here as well development had not gone forward. Presumably, in a — theoretically, if the development had gone forward, he might have been subject to conditions that he would have had to satisfy. But
3: I would submit to the, the Court The permit had issued — the permit had issued in both of those cases, and therefore the person was take was saying, to go ahead with this permit, I give up — I give up this land.
1: The permits in Nolan and Dolan actually did not issue. There was only approval with conditions, and there's a difference. And that's no different from what happened here. The threat is the same. You don't get a permit issued
3: to you until There was no approval with conditions. There's one thing for, uh, for a municipality to issue a, an approval with conditions and uh, a municipality saying we can't approve it unless you agree to these conditions. And the person doesn't agree, and the municipality says we don't approve it.
1: But in either case, he, f- he faces the threat, <clears throat> the unconstitutional condition on his use of his property. You don't get your use until you comply with our conditions. Mr. Uh, Justice, I, I, I,
6: Justice. I have one question. I know we're, you're running short on your available time. Assume that when we look at this record, assume — we think there's a due process violation, not a taking violation. That is not before us here, is it?
1: No. The do, there is no due process claim here. There's only a state statute that embodies sort of a due process standard, but there is no due process claim here.
0: And may I reserve the balance of my time here? And I'll afford you some additional time since our questioning intruded on yours. Thank you. <clears throat> Mr. Wilson?
8: Uh, MR. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the parties agree that Florida may require a landowner to perform mitigation as a condition for a permit that would allow the destruction of the wetlands. The parties disagreed as to how much mitigation was appropriate in this case. The District thought that Mr. Koontz's proposal was insufficient to mitigate the the damage to wetlands. Mr. Koontz rejected the District's counter-proposals, and he refused to do anything more. And the District denied his permit application because he refused to do anything more.
0: Does it make any difference in his refusing to do anything more, whether the condition is on-site or off-site?
8: I don't think it makes any difference, uh, Mr. Chief Justice. I mean, the — under the Florida regulatory regime, we cannot demand certain conditions from the landowner. Um, We are obligated — if the permit — the landowner has to establish under his permit application — and it's his burden, that he meets the various standards, the public interest standard, which includes
0: uh, Those no are all state,
8: state law provisions talking about. Correct. What
0: about is there is there anything in the Federal Constitution that limits the conditions that you can demand?
8: I don't I not not if I understand um, your question, Mr. Chief Justice, I don't think so. I think that the question is when you're talking about what analytical rubric you should apply, whether it be Nolan or Dolan or Penn Central. I think you can always argue that the impact of any of the conditions that we would demand, and I will assume here that they are true demands, you can always argue that the impact of the conditions, be they on-site, off-site, or monetary, would be so burdensome that it would call into play that's, Penn Central But that's — but there's
0: no — there's no restraint on the agency you can ask for the moon before well, it will — before it will give a permit.
8: Well, I, I don't — I mean, I think that — first of all, I think there are — Many restraints on the agency. First of all, I think Penn Central imposes a restraint on the agency. Do you
0: know of any case where the government's lost to Penn Central? Case.
8: yes, there are several in this case, Mr. Chief Justice. I mean Hodell versus Irving is a Penn central case, I believe, and I think Kaiser Etna was also a penn central case uh, so, so it does it certainly does and, and there are it doesn 't happen very often well it, it is it, certainly the burden is on the landowner but but I think that penn central i think that in Lingle when this court tried to sort of restore you know some some coherence to the to the Hakings jurisprudence and repudiated the Agan's point. The court pointed out that that the what that the normal sort of the normal jurisprudence is that um, the government is not required to establish by a heightened scrutiny sort of that there's a connection between means ends analysis when it engages in economic uh, economic regulation. Just now, just
0: to. Dale it down. Your your position is that there is no limit in the Federal Constitution on what the agency can demand as a condition for the issuance of a permit.
8: No, no, no. I don't think that's our position. First of all, the due process clause Um, may certainly impose conditions. The Equal Protection Clause may certainly impose conditions. But but the
0: the Takings Clause does not.
8: If the the conditions are so onerous that it would make it essentially impossible to derive any value from the land, that may very well call into question Penn Central or Lucas. Uh, I mean, in many ways, this case could have been litigated as a very straightforward Penn Central case.
6: Suppose, suppose the agency said, um, we're really short of revenue, uh, we'll let you develop your land if you contribute a million dollars to our new football stadium.
8: Uh, Justice Kennedy, I think that that might very well raise a Penn Central or a Lucas claim. It also sounds well,
3: like it doesn't a, raise Penn Central. But, you, you keep on running away from it by saying right. Penn Central or Lucas. Well, it's not.
8: Doesn't it deprive the land of all value. Well, but it still has some value. Well, it, Penn Central is totally out of the case. I mean, it, it's not a it's not a Nolan or Dolan claim, is my point, Justice Kennedy, and it's not a Nolan or Dolan claim because. It's not a it, it, the the as m- as my friend acknowledged the question in Nolan and Dolan is or the rationale of Nolan and Dolan is would the condition by itself, uh, if demanded unilaterally and outside the permitting context, would ha- would that have been a taking of property for which just compensation would have been required? Well, so I'm sure it would stand. <laughs>
0: Sure, it would have been if they just went along to a landowner and the landowner is there mining his own business, and they say, "Well, you own some property, so give us a million dollars to build a football stadium." I think that, that would be that would be unconstitutional, right?
8: I think that would. I mean, I think that would violate, could well violate the due process clause. It's hard to see what the, you know, what the rationality of it is, but I don't think that this court has ever extend has ever extended the concept of a taking to requirements that a — o- that, that anybody but, or a landowner either pay money or, more importantly, because I think what really is this case, is come into compliance with a regulatory requirement that would have the — that — which he would have to expend money to comply with. i I'm trying so to, to that
9: understand what would be what, — what would be left of Nolan and Dolan if we agree with you. Let me give you three situations. First petition, uh, the the, uh, district says, we're granting your permit on the condition that you give us one-third of your land. That's Nolan and Dolan, right? Yes. Okay. Situation number two, permit is denied, but it will be granted if you give us one-third of your land. What about that?
8: I think in that situation, in other words, if the situation is really exactly the same like Nolan and Dolan, but the permit is denied, but it's clear that it's a concrete Conde- concrete condition, the landowner can go up through the judicial review process and say, "This is an — you know the the denial of the permit application is predicated on an unconstitutional condition, and you should set that aside."
9: Is that the then, same as the first example for purposes of Nolan and Dolan? Uh,
8: almost, al- uh, almost just as. All
9: right. Now let me get to my third. The permit is denied, but it will be granted if you give us the fair market value of the third of the land. And once you've done that, then we're going to condemn your land and pay you the fair market value for it.
8: JUSTICE Alito, I think that this Court's decision — this Court's decision in Village of Norwood essentially says if what is going on is just a pure contrivance — To avoid the requirement of compensation in the just compensation clause, that the court has said no, it will look through and to the substance of the demand and determine that there was, you know, essentially an evasion of the just compensation requirement.
3: As I understand your position, cash is magical, right? The the government can come in and uh, come into my house, take all of the cash that's there. And that is not the basis for a takings claim, right? Because well, cash is not, is not a taking. Does that make any sense?
8: Well, first of all, Justice Scalia, of course, this case we don't believe involves cash. It involves a requirement to do something that costs money, which is, is different from cash. I mean, in cash is — the problem with extending — the problem with extending the takings concept to a monetary obligation which can be paid for out of right. sort of undifferentiated funds right. is that it has it has no logical stopping point i mean the, the court, stopping point is don't take my cash well
3: but hey, the your, 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 your answer to, to my question is that's okay it's not a taking
8: right i, think I may have some other cause of action but not a no. not a taking the government's coming and taking my money it's not a it's not a nolan and dolan claim for the government to say if you want, if you want I'm not permit, talking
3: Nolan and Dolan. I'm talking about your position that
8: the taking of cash cannot be a taking. Well, if the gov- — I'm sorry, just to call you. If the, if the government is, take, is seizing the identifiable dollar bills that are in your, in your house, I mean, that sounds more like a case like oh, Web. Oh, I see. Web's I see. Fabulous Pharmacy. That's
3: okay, but if they, if they say you have to turn over to us whatever money you have in your house — or you have to turn over to us
8: whatever is in your bank account, that's not a taking. Justice Scalia, I think there are many many constitutional claims that could be made. And I also want to add, there's an extensive overlay of state law in this area that protects landowners from arbitrary, Irrational, intrusive, excessive. Uh, but one of the right things in, agencies.
0: the the federal provision, the takings clause, is designed to prevent property owners from having to bear the costs that should be borne by the people as a whole, the football stadium example. There's no reason that a particular landowner should have to pay for the football stadium simply because he owns property. The Takings Clause is designed to make sure that those exactions aren't imposed on property owners but spread more evenly across the citizens who benefit from it. And I guess I don't understand why you say that the Takings Clause is the one provision that doesn't apply in that type of situation.
8: Mr. Chief Justice, the, the Armstrong policy of the um, — that the gov- that, that an individual person should not be forced to bear what society should is — what should be spread to society as a whole is not violated when the government — Insists that a landowner comply with a generally applicable regulation. Now, of
0: course, the the generally applicable regulation in the football stadium hypothetical is not generally applicable. It says you are the owner of this property, and if you want to develop it, you've got to build a football stadium.
8: Well, I I think that saying to one particular landowner, you may have to build a football stadium, where no other type of similar regulation. Or requirement would ever be imposed on any other landowner sounds you know like an you know sounds like an equal protection claim if the government just picks out one landowner. Well, but why is they it it if they That's do it to
3: five or six other
6: landowners? Well, and okay. but, but then
8: I think you have to yeah. ask what. But then Justice Scalia, I think you have to ask what what regulatory scheme is the government imposing in order to Well, let's 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 put it that? let's
6: put it this way. I take it it's it's a, a given that the government cannot take an easement. On your property. It cannot use your property for its own purposes. It cannot park its trucks there. It cannot cut the grass. It, uh, why is it that if it can't do those, it can still force you, as a condition to using your property to its highest and best use, to pay the money? Well, I think. Um, why isn't that an equal burden? Why isn't that an equal use of the property by the government?
8: I think — I think for several reasons, Justice Kennedy. First of all, I think that the — this nation has a long legal tradition of um, giving unique legal protection to property as opposed to money. I mean, there are many circumstances — many circumstances where the government can say to an individual, you must give me a thousand dollars, but cannot say — or a group of individuals or — but cannot say to the same Group or individual, you must give me land worth thousand dollars. I mean, there. I mean, that's that is what the just compensation clause. Really,
3: is I. It oh, doesn't strike me as as uh,
8: entirely true. Well, Justice, Justice Scalia, the government obviously. I mean, a tax
3: that's imposed only on landowners and that's uh, you know, uh, it's a tax of uh, five thousand dollars per landowner. If that were replaced by a provision that said um, every every landowner shall. Uh, uh, contribute to the state uh, um, a portion of his property worth five thousand dollars. I think the, that would the latter is bad and the former is okay.
8: I think that would raise very serious questions. At least. I mean, I, I don't know that this court has ever has ever been faced with exactly such a case. But I think that would raise very serious questions.
7: So, but are, and and am I have, wrong about? I might have this. I thought the framework roughly is the following. It is not the case that Penn Central applies only where there's a physical invasion of property or there is total destruction of the value of the property. In those two situations, what we said in Lucas is it applies uh, without case-specific inquiry. But there are another set of cases where Penn Central and McMahon apply with case-specific inquiry, and those to discover whether you have one, you look into such things as whether the regulation destroys investment-backed expectations, and then you look to the nature of the government interest and in the relationships, etc. That's what I thought the framework was. Now, if that's the framework, then when the government says, I will let you develop your land, if and only if you give $50,000 to the Shriners' Hospital, you would say, I can't develop my land. And besides, that significantly interferes with my investment-backed expectations. And besides, there's no relation whatsoever. Therefore, I win under the takings clause. Now, I spell all that out. Because if I'm wrong about that framework, if I'm right about the framework, that can apply to this case. If I'm wrong about the framework, I want to know where in the cases I'm wrong.
8: Justice Breyer, we think that you are right about that framework. That and and just six weeks ago in the surprises me in the well, just six weeks ago in the Arkansas Fish and Game Commission case, this court reiterated that Penn Central is presumed to be the test. So if I'm right about the framework. That takes care of all the hypotheticals
7: you were asked. Uh, in those cases, there is a significant interference with investment-backed expectation, and there's no justification whatsoever. So the takings clause
8: applies. I, I, we agree, Justice Scalia, and we don't —
3: Justification get, is correct. the protection of wetlands. Well, well maybe That's guess. a justification, the protection of wetlands. There is no necessary comparison, as Nolan and Dolan requires, between the harm — uh, uh, that would be occasioned if the permit were granted, and what the state is exacting in order to mitigate—that that doesn't exist anywhere in uh, in in, in uh, uh, the analysis that you're talking about.
8: Well, Justice Scalia, there are there is another problem with the Nolan and Dolan claim in this case, which is it's hard to see how you can have an exactions takings claim when nothing has ever actually been exacted from now that is a problem now and 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 that right, and and so and in this case the if the if the claim for the taking is for the compensation is based on Nolan and Dolan. It seems that there's a mismatch, and that what the petitioner is trying to do is sort of take the Nolan-Dolan heightened scrutiny government government bears the burden of proof analysis and sort of convert that into what is the regulatory takings analysis for the entire parcel of his land, which is which is the measure of damages that he received. So I think that there is a mismatch. Now, this I know. I is,
0: think that your point goes to the question that's been raised about. There was no permit issued. He didn't accept the the permit. And I don't understand that proposition. Are you saying that if you are confronted with an unconstitutional condition, you have to accept it, and then you can challenge it? You can't simply say you denied that on the basis of an unconstitutional condition, and that's wrong.
8: No, that's not our argument, Mr. Chief Justice. Florida has opened an avenue for judicial relief for you to go up through the Florida APA process just like the federal APA where you can say stop stop the district from doing this to me they are predicating their either their grant Okay, or their I'm contract.
0: trying to get to the federal you you often right. re- fall back to the state provisions. I'm looking no. at the federal constitution and assuming the state provisions give you no relief is it your position that he has no claim unless he accepts a permit with unconstitutional if, conditions if
8: there's no if there's no kind of avenue as i was saying then i think we then you have to obtain comp, you have to seek compensation but your compensation is for the value of your land that was taken and in lingle this court reiterated that the takings clause is not a substantive <laughs> limitation on the Government's power to regulate. The, ta- the, the Takings Clause, or as I should call it the Just Compensation Clause, is a requirement that if — that the Government will pay you just compensation for any property or property interest it has seized from you. It does not, it does not itself impose a, a requirement that the Government substantively justify its regulation.
2: Mr. Wilson, why isn't it uh, entirely reasonable to say if you're going to put a condition on a permit, that condition has to have some rough proportionate relationship to the harm that is being done to the permit. But, but that seems to me perfectly sensible, that if they're, gonna, if they're going to exact a condition, the condition has to have some roughly proportional relationship to the harm.
8: Justice Ginsburg, I, I think that the district thought that they were acting roughly proportional. In other words, we're, we're not saying that the government shouldn't act; that government should not act reasonably. But I think that when you force these cases into court under the Nolan-Dolan framework, you have a you have basically kind of a mismatch and extraordinarily complex situation, and you have you run right into what this court said in Lingle, which is that it is not ordinarily the court's the the appropriate Um, Approach to require the government to bear the burden of proof. Well, in Penn Coal
6: versus Man, the government didn't enter the property. It didn't take the property in the physical sense of, of moving it inappropriate. It just says, Congratulations, you have some coal under your land, and we hope you enjoy it because you can't move it. And we said, That is a taking. That is a regulation that goes too far. And, and it deprived, as Justice Breyer indicated, the owner of investment backed expectations, although that word wasn't in Ben Mann.
8: Correct. And, Justice Kennedy, nobody is disputing that Mr. Kuntz could have made the argument that the regulation goes too far in the sense of the burden on his proposed project. I mean, he had all of those arguments available to him. He, bought the, he says he bought the land before the regulation went into effect. He had investment tax expectations uh, and all the rest of it. But that is not the claim that he is advancing to this court.
0: Thank you, Thank you Mr. Wilson. <coughs> Mr. Needler?
10: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. I would like to emphasize at the outset that petitioner's argument that Nolan and Dolan should apply in this context. Would, would constitute a radical change in the, in the way standard, generally a- applicable regulatory programs are operated. It is standard procedure when someone applies for a permit from the government. It is the permit <coughs> applicant's burden to establish that he complies with the regulatory program. Nolan and Dolan shift that burden to the government. That has never been the case under regulation,
3: including land use regulation. What was taken in Nolan and Dolan? If the, if in the, Nolan was it the easement that was taken? That or? is what it, if, if, the, if the permit had
10: issued and, the, and, an, and an easement was granted, yes it was the easement.
3: E, well, but it, it uh, wasn't what was taken uh, unreasonably the ability of this homeowner to make the uh, alterations to his house that he wanted to make. He wanted to add another story. And the Court — and the uh, the State said, you can't do it. And its only basis for saying you can't do it was because you wouldn't give us the easement. No, the, 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 the basis of the, the, the theory of
10: Nolan and Dolan, and the Court made this clear in uh, in Lingle, um, and, and in Del Monte Dunes, for that matter, is those two cases apply in a specific situation where there is an exaction of a right of access, an easement for the public to enter the land as a condition. And the — the reason for that, the Court explained in in lingo — were really two reinforcing points. The first was that there would be public access, which is a — a permanent physical occupation, which is one of — one of the uh, exceptions to the General Penn Central test for regulatory takings. The other is that it was a per se um, uh, taking. It was per se that the government could not have acquired that easement for paying — without paying compensation. Therefore the government could not attach as a condition to the granting of a permit uh, that the person convey something unless it was proportional. So the the theory began with the idea that the easement itself uh, uh, would have been a — the taking of that would have been a per se taking. This is a very different situation because the other way in which petitioner's theory would constitute a radical departure is that — Compliance with regulatory programs frequently maybe almost always requires the expenditure of money. If someone wants to build a power plant, uh, a coal-fired power plant, he's going to have to install a scrubber to protect the air, to prevent no diminution of air quality. Constructing that costs money. It can't be that the requirement to spend money to comply with a regulatory program is itself uh, a taking. The taking would
0: be What about — what about the football stadium? Do they — can you pick a particular landowner? I mean, you took a case in which there's no question under Nolan and Dolan about the relationship, proportionality, and nexus. Let's put those to one side, because the issue is whether Nolan and Dolan apply. Uh, Can the government say, okay, you want a permit? Uh, we'll give you the permit if you fund the new football stadium.
10: I, th- I think in that situation there would be a very substantial equal protection challenge because one landowner is being singled out. with But no the one constitutional
0: reason. provision that is concerned with protecting property owners from having to bear burdens that should be borne by the public at large is not applicable.
10: Well. Uh, <coughs> That
7: it applies when there is identifiable property um, taken. If no, no, why? Why isn't the answer yes? It is applicable. Of course, it's applicable. I own a piece of land. And they have significantly interfered with my investment-backed right. expectation. Right. I, 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 and, and to say that I can't put a house on this because I'm supposed to pay for a football field, which has nothing to do with it, is as close to insisting uh, that you have to uh, have 4,000 columns of coal in your mine so that you can never use it, as I can think of, say, it's, a, it's homes brought up to date. Well, I mean, cer- at least cer- that argument would be made. Cer- Why wouldn't it be a winning argument?
10: Certainly a Penn Central argument uh, could be made there, but I think that's very different from a Nolan argument, which imposes the, the burden on the government and basically treats the, the payment of money as itself. Mr. Needle, uh, Look, can I go take?
4: back to the questions presented a moment? Um, the Court below did two separate rulings, I think. One is there can't be a taking if the, um, if the claim is that it's a, of a undifferentiated money, not a risk. And I think you would agree with that. If the only issue is um, an obligation to pay money, that that's not a takings claim. Correct? Yes. And
10: this is not even an obligation to pay money. It's an obligation to spend
4: money. Right. To come there to was a second client. holding, however, which really gets ellipsed by the second, which is a denial of a permit, doesn't permit you to raise the Nolan-Dolan case. And it appears to me, even if there is a easement situation, some even if there is an actual takings claim at issue, do you agree with that first holding by the Court below? We, Assuming we narrow it not to … Undifferentiated money, but is there a difference between a denial or a grant?
10: no if, 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 if the, if the uh, agency decision is written where there is an express condition, we don 't think that it matters. Uh, an express condition satisfying Nolan and Dolan, in other words, an exaction a per se taking we don 't think it matters whether the, whether, the, uh, whether it 's a permit grant or permit denial. there was no actual taking in the sense the compensation would be owed but it could be challenged as an unconstitutional condition under the Nolan and Dolan uh, analysis. But we think it's critical when thinking about that, that the, that the permit denial, that, that only applies if the permit denial expressly uh, is based on the condition, because otherwise you would get into a situ- situation of negotiations and what was discussed, and, the, and liability could turn on an exchange of ideas whereas it should turn on the formality of the agency's final decision. It's akin to the Williamson County final decision requirement. Do you agree
0: your, your, your friend on the other side cited a number of places in the record where he thought your condition was satisfied, that the denial of the permit was expressly based on the failure to comply with the offered conditions?
10: Well, um, the, if you look at the, uh, the orders denying the uh, permit applications in the record, I, I believe it's um, 49 to 51 and 69 to 61. In those situations, it says the permits were denied because the plaintiff uh, did not give the reasonable assurances that the statute requires uh, in order to get the permit, the reasonable assurances of, of a lo- no loss of wetlands functions. One of the ways isn't this be-
3: unreal? I mean you're saying uh, all along in the negotiations, the agency says, "If you do X, you get the permit." And X is would, — would would be an unconstitutional condition, okay? He refuses to do X. The permit is denied with a general statement like this. The permit is denied because he has refused to do the, the necessary mitigation. Isn't it clear that the reason he's refused to do the necessary mitigation is he has refused the last demand of the agency? The, the ultimate standard under the statute
10: is whether he has provided reasonable uh, assurances. What assurances, the way in which he goes about it, whether offsite or onsite. The offsite part just arises because this is a wetlands case. Normal regulation wouldn't raise the offsite, uh, onsite problem. But the, the ultimate question is he didn't carry his burden of establishing no net loss of wetlands.
7: Well, the oh, well, way he's going to say, in part, because I guess, there, I did the little numbers from your brief, the 37 million acres in Florida, say about 4 million are bodies of water, and say a third of them are built up, and we have 11 million that are wetland and 11 million that aren't. That's crude. So they're saying, why in heaven's name are we supposed to — we — everybody wants to build, and why should the people that happen to live on wetland have to pay for all the other wetland? That's just coincidence. So he's going to say that that is uh, like the Shriners' Hospital. You're going to say, no, it isn't like the Shriners' Hospital. Now, all I'm saying is, isn't it at least an issue under the Takings Clause, whether it is or isn't? I think it's clearly not like the Shriners' hospital. Uh, I know you'll office. say that, and I'll say it Shriners is. Hospital.
10: But <laughs> right. I, I did want to come back uh, to Justice Scalia's question. The permit, uh, permit denials, just general permit denials, the Court made clear in Dalmani Dunes are not covered by Nolan and Dolan. They are covered by Penn Central. So, and the court made clear in Nolan that the court could have denied the permit without attaching the condition. We think it's important that the agency always have that option. And the third point is, you may be
9: right, but you're making Nolan and Dolan a a trap only for really stupid districts. You know, if they they say the right words, then they're out from under it. Isn't that right?
10: Well, I I don't think so because uh, because there are situations in which an agency actually wants to get the easement. But this Court in Lingle made clear that that the general rule is pen-central, with only the two exceptions for regulatory why
9: should it matter whether the the permitting authority says expressly in the denial, it's denied because you didn't do this, or it just says it's denied, but it's perfectly well understood what was needed, what they were going to demand in order to get it?
10: I mean, it's because the agency has to reserve — has to have the ability to, to uh, deny the permit because the conditions required by the statute were not met, and Nolan and Dolan um, uh, deal with formality and the formality of conveyance of an easement if there is not a document that requires that, then the strict requirements of, for the narrow exception of Nolan and Dolan do not apply.
0: Thank you, Mr. Needler. Mr. Baird, you have, uh, well, three minutes. <clears throat> Thank you Mr. Chief
1: Justice I would just like to point the court and particularly Justice Scalia to pages uh, thirty and thirty one of our grief on the merits, where we describe with citations to uh, the uh, Nolan and Dolan what precisely happened there. I want to make sure that it 's clear that what they did there was not issue permits. they approved with conditions but the property owner still had to satisfy the conditions in order to receive the permit.
4: As to the question about uh, What do we do with what uh, Mr. Needler says is a ruling in your favor on this question, that all denials are subject to Nolan and Dolan. Um, what do we do with that? I mean, what's the f- — mm. I, I see an enormous floodgate here and one in which we are sending a signal that perhaps states should be more quiet rather than more engaging. They should just say no, because anything they offer is going to be seen potentially as an unconstitutional taking. So they should just plain say no, not explain why, not engage in any uh, work with you to mitigate
1: Justice Sotomayor, I don't believe that negotiations will suddenly break down and we'll see a flurry of, of permit denials if the court rules in our favor. What will happen instead, it's true, I should say, they will lose flexibility in demanding whatever it is that they want under the takings clause. They won't have any review. But the benefit of applying our rule that says monetary exactions should be treated
4: like other exactions and be reviewed under Nolan and Dolan, but they're not. People are asked to pay taxes. Homeowners are asked to pay taxes all the time. Development fees, if they want to develop something. People are subject to uh, money exactions all of the time in this society.
1: No question that we all are subject on a daily basis to government demands
4: that we pay, that we have a financial obligation. So, what happens in just when the legislature pa- passes a, a, a development fee? Are you now saying that's subject to Nolan and Dolan, too? If the legislation requires an agency who processes the permit
1: to impose a fee in exchange for a permit within — again, within the land use context — we're not talking taxes, homeowners' fees — we're talking within the discretionary land use process — that is imposed there, then the risk of coercion, undue influence, and the like arise, and Nolan and Dolan should (coughs) apply. But I wanted to respond specifically to Justice Breyer's questions about Penn Central. I think conceptually there is an important difference between the unconstitutional conditions doctrine, which is what we seek to apply here, and what would be a permit uh, or what would be a Penn Central claim. The unconstitutional conditions doctrine, the the offense there is the. May you I finish your thought? The offense there is the conditioning, the improper conditioning of a permit. It's not did the condition force me to lose the value in my land? That's a very different question that a case like Penn Central might answer, subsequent to a permit denial. The unconstitutional conditions doctrine focuses exclusively on the permit exaction and on the conditioning, not on subsequent decisions by the government, for example, to deny.
0: Thank you, Counsel. Thank you. Counsel, the case is submitted.